going to invite Miriam to come and bring us our reading, and then Paul will come and speak to us. The reading today is from John 6, 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Miriam. Well, good morning, everyone here in church. Good morning, those who are watching at home as well. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you for this uh, most familiar of stories. And thank you, Lord God, that your word is always speaking to us afresh. We pray, Lord God, that we'll be open to your spirit's prompting this morning as we reflect now on this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I want us this morning just to imagine for a few moments that we are in Philip's shoes, uh, Philip's sandals, I suppose, um, the early disciple. We first met him in John's Gospel in chapter 1, where he responds to Jesus' call to follow him. No doubt he's been struck by Jesus' charisma, the aura around him, the reputation that he's beginning to build. And uh, Philip in chapter 1, if you remember, had uh, introduced Nathaniel to Jesus. And here we are, here we are uh, months, possibly a year, maybe even two years on, and I want you to imagine you're Philip. You've observed Jesus' encounters along the way. So you've observed Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well, for instance. You've seen how he's related to people like Nicodemus. You've seen the way he's responded to his many critics. You've been amazed by the miracles that he's performed. And you and the small band of fellow travelers are lapping up every minute of this amazing roller coaster journey. And here you are on a mountainside near the lake, 
hoping for a bit of peace and quiet with Jesus. But the crowds soon put paid to that. This story, of course, is in all four of the Gospels, and in the other three, we're specifically told that the disciples suggested to Jesus that he send the crowds away so that they could get some rest and relaxation with him. But the reality is that the crowds are closing in. And Jesus turns to you, Philip, and asks you a ridiculous question. The crowds are numbering over 5,000 people. And Jesus turns to you and asks the question, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, there's at least 5,000 people. There's no Tesco Extra around the corner. No one sort of Deliveroo. And the disciples' communal coffers are running pretty low. What might be going through your mind? Well, maybe you're thinking, he's really lost it this time. Or maybe you're just shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, what do you expect me to do? Maybe it's a case of, you're asking the wrong man. He's the treasurer. Or maybe in the uh, title of a well-known radio program, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. You're a bit out of your depth, but you have just an inkling that maybe Jesus might have a solution. Uh, Maybe you want to imagine yourself as Andrew, assessing the situation, seeing the crowd, seeing the need, and trying to be helpful. Well, we've got this, this boy's packed lunch, That might help. I hope, like me, you can identify with the very ordinariness and the very humanity of Jesus' first disciples. So often, they're out of their depth. So often, they're called to simply trust Jesus. They didn't have the answers, but Jesus did. And by sticking with him, they saw some amazing things and shared with him in some mind-blowing experiences. How often do we find ourselves in situations where we simply do not have the answers? We can't make sense of what's going on. There are particular times in life when things seem to be going belly up. Maybe we're despairing at things that are dominating the news headlines. Maybe we're facing personal struggles with ill health or facing dealing with the loss of loved ones. Maybe there are financial pressures, things going on within our wider families. There are times for all of us when we're living in a fog, struggling to see how situations can be resolved. And in these situations, Jesus issues us with an invitation to trust. So much of God's work is a mystery to us beyond our feeble understanding. But he still calls us to hang on in there and trust. Last week at the service, we offered uh, prayers for healing, and I believe um, lives were touched by God. In fact, I know they were, because I just had a conversation with someone who was telling me about an answered prayer. But sometimes we don't see our prayers answered in any obvious way. I read a powerful testimony this week of a couple who'd had a really tough time of things over the last 30 years. 
the headline of this article was, Surely Things Will Get Better. And it was about this couple who'd uh, met and fallen in love and they'd been doing quite well in life in their 20s. The husband had been a high-flying Cambridge uh, academic. But in his 20s, he'd been struck down by that most debilitating of illnesses, ME. And sadly, he had to retire on health grounds at the age of 30. He'd been prayed for many times, and in the early years especially, both him and his wife had hoped and believed for his physical healing, and yet nothing much had changed. There'd been many relapses. But their testimony was one of ongoing trust in God. I just want to read a few lines from this article. It's their testimony. It's written by Penny the wife. Where are we now? While we believe that God can heal, we have, after decades, both stopped living with the constant hope of a full physical healing in this life. Instead, we both know that there will be full healing for everyone when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness. People have a lot more to be healed of than physical sickness, however horrible that might be. And this line really struck me. We put our hope and trust in God and live the life that we have, not the one we might dream of. We put our hope and trust in God and live the life that we have, not the one we might dream of. That couple, Penny and Malcolm, have chosen to hang in there and keep trusting in the mysteries of God and in his eternal purposes. Maybe some of us need to hear that story this morning. Are we prepared to trust in the hidden mysteries of God, trusting for his provision in the everyday, as Philip and Simon had to, and also for the big things of life? The feeding of the 5,000 demonstrated God's provision in the immediate, but it was also symbolic of his abundant provision in eternity. There are elements of the now and the not yet, often repeated in the Gospels. There's a tiny detail it's easy to miss in this, uh, in this passage in chapter 6. It comes in verse 4, where we're told it was time for the Passover festival, or the Passover festival was near. It's an important detail, but it's very deliberate on the writer's part. The author has mentioned Passover back in chapter 2, just before the cleansing of the temple. He mentions it here in, re in relation to the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll mention it again as Jesus enters Jerusalem on his way to the cross. Passover is about liberation and God's provision for his people. John's readers would have made the connection with Israel's liberation from slavery and their journey towards the promised land. A time of struggle, a time of uncertainty, a time of not knowing, a time of having to trust in God and the leaders God had provided. But also a time ultimately of God's provision. And each of John's Passover stories represent a call to trust afresh in God's purposes, lived out in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. A new order is breaking through. We're in the middle of the uh, Alpha course here at Christchurch, and um, 
at Alpha this week, we're exploring the question of how can I have faith? Some of our faith arises out of our past experience of God. Some from a witness of Scripture. Some out of a daily decision to trust whatever the circumstances of life. Some through the encouragement of others. Sometimes, like Philip, we're faced with particular challenges, particular questions, where our natural response is, sorry, I haven't a clue. But as we keep trusting God, we will see his provision in this life or in the life to come. And that's a theme that's picked up in a song we're going to listen to now. Hopefully the the technology will work on this one. It's a song that speaks of God's sovereignty, his sovereign over us. And there's a line in there that reminds us the way in which God is calling us and teaching us to trust. That's very much a lifelong journey, isn't it? I don't think any of us could ever say we've ever arrived. But I pray that we will learn what it means to trust God, whatever situations we might be facing, whatever mysteries we might be in the middle of, and that we might see God's provision in our lives, in our church, in his creation. So let's sit and listen to Sovereign Over Us. (laughs) 